If you uh, have the book of Philemon open, and uh, if you've forgotten where that is, that's page uh, 1060 in the Church Bibles. Um, We're going to carry on our little series in Philemon by looking at verses 8 to 21. And uh, before we do that, I was thinking about, uh, you know, what is it that this uh, part of the the letter is saying? It got me thinking about those times, uh, maybe it's just me, I won't ask for any hands up, uh, when you might have just gently dinked another car door with your car door in the supermarket car park or when you've been uh, trying to get out of parking space and maybe just gently reversed into somebody's bumper and then you have that uh, horrible little thing of, ooh, I wonder if it's done any damage and if it, ha- you know, do I, uh, do I leave a note or wouldn't it be easier, I wonder if anybody saw me just to uh, go off. Or maybe you've been on the other end of that where you've got back to your car and it's obvious that somebody has open the door into it or or they've you know somebody has reversed into it and just that horrible thing of 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 somebody just not being prepared to deal with the consequences of their actions almost kind of running away because they know that uh, that they've done wrong but they don't want to deal with it and uh, really to me that's kind of the the sense that we get when we read Paul's letter is that he's trying to deal with a situation where somebody has done something wrong and uh, run away and is now looking at uh, having to face the consequences of that. So um, that's really what we're going to look at uh, today, is, is how do we do that? How do we face the consequences of our wrongdoing, and why is that important? And also, how do we work together as a, a body of people, as a church, to promote forgiveness and reconciliation, to help people to deal with when uh, somebody has done something wrong or when there's conflict between two people? And uh, as we've said uh, in the other kind of, when we've looked at uh, the other sections of Philemon, I think there's a lot that we can learn from this letter. Even though this is an incident, specific incident that happened thousands of years ago, it really is there to help us to learn uh, how we can better deal with these kind of situations. And so we'll look at, so we'll start at verse 8. And in verse 8, Paul says, Therefore, though I might be very bold in Christ to command you what is fitting, yet for love's sake I rather appeal to you, being such a one as Paul, the aged, and also now a prisoner of Christ Jesus. So this uh, really links with what we looked at in our other two uh, sessions, which is really the fact that uh, Paul is an apostle, very kind of famous, one of the church kind of uh, founding fathers, if you like. So he had the authority to kind of tell people in the church what to do, and they would uh, go with what he says. But actually, uh, in this letter to Philemon, he says he doesn't want to do that. That actually, although he could do that, He's coming at it from a different basis. He's not kind of coming in there with his apostolic authority telling people what to do, but he's coming from an appeal of love based upon love. And as we saw in the the first uh, section that we looked at, he comes and reminds everybody involved that the fact that they are one in Christ, that they're actually uh, family together, that they are friends, that they're co-workers, and that they're fellow soldiers. So whenever they're dealing with this issue of conflict, Uh, and wrongdoing, they need to remember that before they approach trying to sort it out. And also, as we saw last time, uh, he encourages Philemon to to remember what has happened to him, that he too has been forgiven by the Lord, and that actually he now is a new creation in Christ, and he's able to forgive and to love. And he kind of, the whole letter really is appealing to Philemon's new nature in Christ to actually... uh, take a stance of of forgiveness and love rather than kind of wrath and retribution. So what is he appealing him to? He says that uh, I appeal to you, 
So what is the appeal about? Well, we see that in verses 10 and 11, and it centers around a a guy called Onesimus. So in verse 10, it says, I appeal to you for my son, Onesimus, whom I have begotten while in my chains, who once was unprofitable to you, but now is profitable to you and to me. So he's appealing on behalf of someone else, this uh, guy called Onesimus, who he has begotten in his chains. He's someone that has become a Christian. Paul talks about uh, almost becoming a father to people that uh, become Christians through his ministry, and Onesimus is one of those people. Paul, as we know, was uh, in prison in Rome, but he was still able to share the gospel and to meet with people. And one of those people that somehow he met with was Onesimus. And uh, if you look at uh, verse 16, it actually mentions the word slave there. And if you think about the way that Paul is talking throughout the letter, it becomes obvious that uh, Onesimus was Philemon's slave. And uh, in those days, slavery was uh, very common. They reckon that maybe 30 to 50% of people uh, were slaves at that time. Not slaves as maybe we have in our, in our heads um, in terms of kind of down, sort of downtrodden and kept in chains, but actually uh, throughout society doing some very important and skilled jobs. A lot of the work that was done by those in those days, even doctors and teachers, was done by slaves. So it was a kind of a common thing uh, in those days uh, for people who were rich to have slaves. And it looks like uh, Philemon was rich and did have at least one slave. But if we look at verse 18, it seems clear that uh, Onesimus actually was a runaway slave. It seems as though he may have uh, stole some money from Philemon and then run away to Rome, as many slaves did, trying to lose themselves in all of the uh, people and the the bustle and the hustle of of Rome. So it looks like uh, this is what's happened. So uh, Philemon lived in Colossae, and uh, as as we saw in uh, last week, uh, was quite a wealthy man, had a church who met in his house, and uh, Onesimus, for whatever reason, decided to steal money and to run away, but actually ran away to Rome, and there he met Paul. And uh, if you look at uh, what Onesimus' name means, it actually means profitable, and uh, this is why I think Paul uh, makes that reference to it in verse 11. He says, he once was unprofitable to you, but now is profitable to you and to me. And what he actually does is he he, he uses Onesimus' name to say, this guy here uh, did you wrong. This guy here, maybe, you know, maybe he wasn't a very good slave before he ran away, or maybe he's referring to the fact that he did run away uh, and stole from him. But at one point, he was unprofitable to you. At one point, he lost you money. He cost you money. But actually, he's changed. He has met with the Lord Jesus. He's become a new person. And now he's profitable, not just to uh, me, because he's helping me with the gospel work in Rome, but also he is profitable to you and to the church if you will reconcile and deal with what's happened. So Paul is really making appeal on behalf of Onesimus that there will be this uh, reconciliation because what Paul knows is that even though the eternal consequences of Onesimus' actions have been dealt with, even though he's been forgiven by God for the wrong that he's done, there are still earthly consequences for his wrongdoing. Because at the end of the day, even though he'd run away, he was still in the Roman Empire, and in the eyes of Roman law, he was a runaway slave, and he was a thief. And that was actually a crime that could be punished uh, by death. It was the uh, person that owned the slave had a free right to do whatever they wanted. 
to punish them in the way that they saw fit. So actually, Paul knew that although uh, Onesimus had been forgiven when he had come in repentance to Jesus, actually there was these earthly consequences that needed dealing with. And because of his love for Onesimus, Paul decided to get involved And he realised that actually the only way to sort this out was that if Onesimus voluntarily returned to Colossae and there was a meeting with Philemon and that they sorted this out. But actually, I think he had larger intentions than that. So yes, it was his love for Onesimus and how profitable he'd come to the work. But also, uh, Paul had bigger intentions for the glory of God because uh, if this reconciliation did take place, then it would be an incredible witness to uh, the church and to those around in Colossae. And you'll see this as we move into verse 12. The power of forgiveness. He says, I am sending him back. You therefore receive him, that is my own heart, whom I wish to keep with me, that on your behalf he might minister me in my chains for the gospel. But without your consent, I wanted to do nothing that your good deed might not be by compulsion, as it were, but voluntary. You see, what Paul actually wanted was for Onesimus to stay with him in Rome. He was so useful to Paul that he didn't want to kind of get rid of him or for him have to, to go back, but he knew actually that he couldn't stay without this issue being sorted. So if you think about it, Paul could have said, well, you know, he was your, he was your slave, he did you wrong, but now he's with me, let's just... Uh, Let's just brush it under the carpet. Let's forget about it now. I want him to stay uh, here with me. Uh, And I'm an apostle, so you're going to have to do what I say. But he doesn't do that. He says, actually, what I want is for you to allow him to be with me voluntarily. I want you not to feel a compulsion to have to do it, because I, Paul, the apostle, am telling you. But I want that to come from your very heart. I want out of your heart of love for the Lord and for the Lord's people, I want you to be reconciled. And I want you to forgive So what's going to happen? Well, Onesimus is going to return to Colossae to face the consequences of what he's done. Now, he could just have gone back on his own, but in those days it was dangerous for runaway slaves to travel on their own because there were people who were sort of paid bounty to to catch runaway slaves. So it's believed that Paul actually sent him back with another uh, worker called Tychicus who was returning to Colossae with the epistle to the Colossians. So these two would go and there would be a letter to the church but then there would be this specific letter to Philemon about Onesimus. <coughs> so what Paul wants Philemon to do is to willingly um, act by kingdom principles. You know, he could have uh, quite rightly within the Roman law have said, no, I'm not going to, this, this uh, slave has done me wrong and therefore he needs to be punished. But what Paul wants him to do is to put the kingdom principles first and say that even though he's wronged me, I'm going to forgive him. And I'm actually going to love him as a brother in Christ. So Paul was trusting Onesimus not to run away. You know, if they were going on this journey, he could have just run away again and, uh, and had cold feet, as it were. But also, if you think about it, it's incredible courage of Onesimus to go back to his master, his, his owner, if you like, to actually sort this out. Because he didn't know what Philemon's response was going to be. You know, in hindsight, it's believed that, uh, that he did forgive, uh, and there's tradition that uh, Onesimus became a, a leader within the church. We don't know that. It doesn't say that here. So actually, in a sense, um, Onesimus has to have real courage here to say, do you know what, I will. 
Even though I'm safe here in Rome with you, what I'm going to do is go back and face the consequences of what I've done. Because it was only then that he could be truly free. It was only then when he faced the consequences, when he received, hopefully, that forgiveness from the person that he'd wronged, when he uh, was um, set free, as it were, from the punishment of that crime within Roman law, that he would truly be free. Otherwise, he would always have that uh, weight of guilt and um, the fear of punishment over his head. And what we find is Paul is saying, actually, uh, although we don't condemn, uh, sorry, we don't condone uh, Onesimus stealing and running away, actually, within the providence of God, good can come out of this. And you'll see that in verses 15. For perhaps he departed for a while for this purpose, that you might receive him forever, no longer as a slave, but more than a slave, a beloved brother, especially to me, but how much more to you, both in the flesh and in the Lord. If then you count me as a partner, receive him as you would me. Isn't it amazing how God can take even the sin and the wrong that we do and turn it around and bring good out of it? You see, Onesimus started off in Colossae, miles away from Rome, ran away, ran to, ran to Rome, and who did he bump into? Paul. And what did Paul do? Shared the gospel with him. What happened? He came to know the Lord. Isn't that amazing how the Lord can use the wrong that he did to bring him to salvation? And actually what Paul is saying here is that this doesn't have to be the end of it. It's wonderful that he's come to salvation. It's wonderful that he's come to know the Lord through what's happened. But even more good can come of this. There can be a reconciliation here that will be a witness to all of the church and, but also beyond that to unbelievers of the power of the gospel, not only to reconcile people to God, but also people to each other, to bring a unity and uh, a sense of community that is only possible uh, through the Holy Spirit. <clears throat> you see, Paul wants Onesimus to be forgiven all his wrongdoing. He wants him to be reconciled to Philemon, but also reconciled to the church. And also, I think, at the back of his mind, he actually wants him back. He wants that to happen in order for Onesimus then to be able to freely travel within the Roman Empire, to return to Rome and to be a blessing to Paul once again. So what this letter is, is encouraging is for Onesimus to do the right thing by facing the legal consequences of his previous action, even though it risks imprisonment or death. Colossians 3 22 to 24, the very book, the very letter that would be going with an Esimus says, Bondservants, obey in all things your masters according to the flesh, not with eye service as men pleasers, but in sincerity of heart, fearing God. And whatever you do, do it heartily as to the Lord and not to men, knowing that from the Lord you will receive the reward of your inheritance, for you serve the Lord Christ. And the letter is encouraging Philemon to receive Onesimus, not as a slave, not as somebody deserving of punishment, but actually as a brother in Christ. And Paul goes even further than that. He says, receive him as you would me. When he turns up at your door, imagine it's me turning up at your door and treat him accordingly. Forgive him, love him. Ephesians 4, 32, be kind to one another, tender-hearted, forgiving one another, even as God in Christ forgave you. Ephesians 6, 5 to 9. 
Bond servants, be obedient to those who are your masters according to the flesh, with fear and trembling and sincerity of heart, as to Christ, not with eye service as men pleasers, but as bond servants of Christ, doing the will of God from the heart, with good will doing service as to the Lord and not to men, knowing that whatever good anyone does, he will receive the same from the Lord, whether he is a slave or free. And you, masters, do the same thing to them, giving up, giving up threatening, knowing that your own master also is in heaven and there is no partiality with him. You see, what would happen, Paul is hoping, is that Onesimus' courage and Philemon's grace will together provide a real-life example of the reconciliation and forgiveness that's available through Christ and a demonstration of the true, new family of God that is made of people from all nations, from all cultures, from all uh, spheres of society. Galatians 3, uh, 26 to 28. For you are all sons of God through faith in Christ Jesus. For as many of you who have baptised into Christ have put on Christ, there is neither Jew nor Greek, neither slave nor free, neither male nor female, for you are all one in Christ Jesus. But Paul also knows that although there are two people that are kind of the main people here, Philemon and Onesimus, that actually it's the, all of the church's responsibility to maintain unity, to deal with conflict, to help people to resolve issues and to forgive. And you'll see that in the next verses, from 18 onwards, he actually uh, vouches for Onesimus. He puts himself right in the middle of this reconciliation. He says, but if he has wronged you or owes anything, put that on my account. I, Paul, am writing with my own hand. I will repay, not to mention to you that you owe me even your own self besides. Yes, brother, let me have joy from you in the Lord. Refresh my heart in the Lord. Having confidence in your obedience, I write to you, knowing that you will do even more than I say. But meanwhile, also prepare a guest room for me, for I trust that through your prayers I shall be granted to you. You see, Paul is prepared to put his reputation on the line, as it were, for Onesimus, he's prepared to vouch for him that he is not going to run away again, that he is actually truly converted, that he's actually profitable for the gospel. And he's actually uh, prepared to, to uh, as I said, vouch for Onesimus. And if you think about it, the same thing, in a sense, happened to him when he had that amazing conversion, when he was uh, Saul and he was going about persecuting the church. He then went to Jerusalem and uh, they were all scared of him, and they didn't want to accept him as a Christian, but Barnabas vouched for him and stood up for him. So Paul knew what it was like to, for people to, be, uh, to look down upon you or to be scared of you or to not want to uh, and invite you into the family. And he wanted to do for Onesimus what had been done for him. And even in the monetary terms, he kind of puts his, uh, his money where his mouth is, as it were. And he says, if he owes you anything, I will pay it. I will actually pay the debt that he owes you. And if you look, he's, he's, he's asking Philemon to remember that he's been forgiven. You know, he says that, um, not to mention that you owe me even your own self besides. You know, it's believed that Philemon himself became a Christian through meeting Paul. So actually what Paul is saying is, don't forget the history that we have together. Don't forget the fact that I shared the gospel with you just as I did with Onesimus. Don't forget that you've been forgiven so much by God. And if you've been forgiven, 
how can you not grant forgiveness to someone else? And what Paul is saying there is, is that if this reconciliation takes place, then what an amazing blessing it will be to you two, but also to me. What an amazing thing it will be for those, these two people that I regard as my sons to be reconciled together. And what an amazing witness that's going to be, but also what an amazing testimony it is to the change that has happened in those two people, that they go from being master and slave to actually being brothers in Christ. And I think that's what he's referring to in verse 21 when he says uh, that knowing that you will do even more than I say. I think that's Paul, Paul's little kind of encouragement there to say, don't just forgive him, but actually set him free. Set him free from being your slave so he can truly be that brother in Christ and take his, his place within the church. Because what Paul is hoping, if you see in verse 22, is that he will be able to go one day back to Colossae. Maybe he, he thinks maybe he'll go and, uh, and then uh, spend some time there and then Anisimus will come back with him. I don't know. But actually he wants to go and he's praying to that end and he's hoping that Philemon is also praying that one day he'll be able to go there and to see this amazing reconciliation for himself. So what can we say in conclusion? Well, I think from my uh, reading of Paul's letter to Philemon, it's just an amazing uh, real-life example of how to deal with conflict. Yes, conflict within the church, conflict between brothers, but I think also has um, things that we can use in our everyday lives, whether that's with our family or our neighbours or work. It really teaches us to approach conflict on a personal level, to try and get away from setting up sides and setting up barriers and boundaries and to say, look, what is it that you have in common? What is the common ground here that you can meet on? And it also teaches us why we should forgive. You know, what happens when we don't forgive, how much bitterness and grief it causes us, even physical illness, mental illness, division comes from not forgiving. And it's a real-life demonstration of how forgiveness and uh, reconciliation can build and mature the body of Christ. You know, if there are conflicts and unresolved issues in the body of Christ, then that just brings places where the devil can get a foothold, where division can come. But actually, if we can resolve these issues, how amazing is the body of Christ to think that people who are so different in character, so different in background, in culture, maybe even social status can come together with one purpose and one heart. It is an amazing thing, and it's something that only can happen by the work of the Spirit. But also, it's an amazing picture of us returning to God. If you think about this, if you think about Philemon as God the Father, if you think about Onesimus as someone who has done wrong and has run away and is now in hiding because he's scared of punishment, but actually Paul comes to mediate to bring them back together. You know, Luther said that we are all God's Onesimuses. You know, do we trust in the character of God? Just as Paul uh, trusted in the character of Philemon, trusted in his forgiveness, trusted in his mercy, do we trust in the character of God that if we go to him in repentance and faith that he will be merciful towards us? And do we trust in the mediating and the saving work of Jesus do we trust that just like Paul, he is there speaking on our behalf? And more so, so much more so, that he has done all that's necessary to bring that reconciliation, that he is our reconciliation.
So this is a letter, I think, that is written to all of us. To whatever circumstances you're in, there is something here for you. Maybe tonight you need to know the forgiveness of God. Maybe it's actually God that you're running away from. Maybe it's actually God that you're hiding from. Maybe it's your sins. It's the wrong that you've done towards him that you need forgiveness for. If that is you, then listen to this. 1 John 1 verse 9. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us all our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Make a note of all the alls in there. There is nothing that you have done. There is nothing that you are that means that you are outside of the forgiveness and the reconciliation of God. Jesus has done everything. Trust in him. Trust in his work to mediate, to save you. Be reconciled to God today. It doesn't depend on you and what you do. It depends on Jesus and what he has done. Maybe it's not God that you feel that you're conflicted with. Maybe you have uh, come to peace with him. Maybe you're a Christian, but actually you know that there is somebody that you need to forgive. Maybe that's just a small thing that's happened recently, or maybe it's something that happened a long time ago that still you harbour in your heart some bitterness and resentment. Or maybe you know you need to be forgiven. Maybe you know that you have done wrong towards somebody and haven't yet owned up or haven't yet gone and sought their forgiveness. It's our responsibility to do that. Listen to Matthew 18, 21 to 22. Then Peter came to him, to Jesus, and said, Lord, how often shall my brother sin against me and I forgive him? Up to seven times? Jesus said to him, I do not say to you up to seven times, but up to 70 times seven. Listen to this in Matthew 5, 23 to 24. Therefore, if you bring your gift to the altar and there, remember that your brother has something against you, leave your gift there before the altar and go your way. First be reconciled to your brother and then come and offer your gift. See, Jesus addresses there both of those. The time when you need to forgive someone for the wrong they've done against you, but also if you know that you've done wrong against someone else, it's our responsibility to take that first step. Or maybe like Paul, you see two people that you know there's conflict there. Maybe you see a situation where there needs to be reconciliation. And it's so easy, isn't it, just to think, oh, well, I won't get involved. I'll just stand back and let it happen. And sometimes that is the right thing to do. Sometimes it's not our business. But other times, actually, there, are, there is things that we can do to help that situation. And like Paul, we can actually uh, be a mediator in that circumstance to try and get people talking, to try and get people back together. And obviously, within a church, it's very easy just to say, well, the leaders will do that. You know, we'll just put all the responsibility on them. And obviously, they do have an authority in these circumstances. But actually, there's something that all of us can do to try and bring that uh, reconciliation to aid that um, to keep that unity that we have. Maybe you're actually um, somebody that needs to face the consequences of your wrongdoing. <clears throat> you see, it's so important, even as Christians, we are forgiven by the Lord and those eternal consequences of our sin are wiped clean. But actually, we still need to deal with the earthly consequences. And actually, we must face up to church discipline or to the, le- the legal Um, consequences of what we've done. You see, the church isn't a place where wrongdoing is covered up, where justice is perverted. Yes, it's a place where people find forgiveness 
where sins are wiped clean, but it's still a place where we have to be open and honest and face the consequences of what we've done. But actually, again, as a church, we can help people to do that. Rather than if you know, somebody has done something wrong before they became a Christian or somebody has done something wrong when they were a Christian, again, it's so easy just to run away and say, oh, I don't want anything to do with them. But actually, we need to help them to face the consequences. We need, if it's appropriate, to stand with them as they do that and to, to help them to do that as Paul did with Onesimus. Maybe you feel like you know, you're sort of in church, but it's, you, know, you, you don't quite feel you've taken your place there. Maybe you feel a bit like Onesimus. You feel kind of a bit on the, the outside and you know that there's things, maybe people are looking down on you or maybe people uh, feel that you're not part of it. We need to encourage each other and remember that we're all new creations and that we're all one in Christ. And we need to encourage each other to take our place within the body and to feel part of it. There are no second-class citizens in the kingdom of God. And finally, it's a challenge to churches that are affected either by current or historical unforgiveness. Uh, Maybe uh, issues of division or disunity that actually we're called to seek to maintain the unity that we have in Christ, that it's not good enough just to let these things fester, that actually we need to address them in order to maintain that unity. Listen to Ephesians 4, verses 1 to 6. I therefore, the prisoner of the Lord, beseech you to walk worthy of the calling with which you were called, with all loneliness and gentleness, with long-suffering, bearing with one another in love, enduring to keep so endeavouring to keep the unity of the spirit in the bond of peace. There is one body and one spirit, just as you were called in one hope of your calling, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all, who is above all and through all and in all. Amen.